Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. I'm your host, Cindy Howes. Hi, so nice of you to stop by. Thank you for being here. A couple things to take care of before we get into today's episode. Uh, If you have not made your contribution to Basic Folk, you can do that right now. Basicfolk.com slash donate. Uh, Your contribution will help produce this podcast. And if you give $5 a month or more, you will get access to Basic Folk Backstage, which features our special bonus content, which is so fun and cool and hope you can join us. Again, basicfolk.com slash donate. Also, I want us to talk about American Songwriter. We are on the American Songwriter Podcast Network, and they have some amazing podcasts that they are offering. And wouldn't it be amazing if there was curation of the top five podcast every Sunday? Well, guess what there is? If you want the top five podcasts from American Songwriters Network delivered to your inbox every Sunday, subscribe to the Suncast newsletter by visiting americansongwriter.com slash suncast. All right, let's talk about Dory Freeman. So great. So Dory Freeman is an Appalachian woman using her music to break the stereotype of her region, which specifically is her town of Gallix, Virginia, where she was born and still lives. Dory's new album, 10,000 Roses, is a celebration of layered sound, beautiful drums, and lyrics from an evolving songwriter. Her voice came to us fully realized on her more traditional-leaning 2016 self-titled debut. Dory learned to sing among the circle of musicians she grew up surrounded by. Her father was the driving force for her guitar lessons, but her grandfather's playing style has still managed to seep into her own. She's named for her great-grandmother, who would have pursued playing music with more fervor had life not presented the responsibility of raising her younger siblings and then her own children. Our conversation with Dory includes discussion of the need for rhythm on the new album, which was produced by her husband, who is also a drummer. We also talk about the patriarchy, obviously, her dark sense of humor, being comfortable using your image to promote your music, and the deep traditional roots of her upbringing. Her town is known for its 90-plus-year-old Fiddler's Convention that Dory's been to every year of her life, aside from the year she had her baby, now her 8-year-old daughter, Osi. Osi's a big influence on her life, and she talks about the struggle of being a parent and a touring musician. It's not typical for her to find a parent-friendly environment at a festival or a venue, so when she arrives at the gig to discover childcare provided for her, it's a huge triumph. Dory is awesome. I really enjoyed speaking with her. Her new album, 10,000 Roses, 
is so beautiful. One of the best of the year. We're going to take a listen to the song Appalachian from the new album. And then we'll get to our conversation with Dory Freeman on Basic Phone. I'm an Appalachian. I'm a triple creeper. I'm a candid ashen for the rest of the Dory Freeman, thank you for being on Basic Folk. Thank you for having me. This is going to be all killer, no filler, because we have a short amount of time to talk to you, so let's get into it. Okay, so you were raised among a family of musicians in Galax, Virginia, which is in the southwest corner of Virginia. It's a small town, a deeply musical place famous for the Old Fiddler's Convention, which is a 90-plus-year-old convention that you've been to every year of your life. Is that true? I, I think every year except for the year that my daughter was born because she was born the first day of the festival, so I was actually in the hospital. <laughs> okay, we'll give you a pass for that one. Um, <laughs> and you still live in, in your hometown. It's close to your family. The landscape of the mountains is really important to you. So Galax is not a music industry town, but it seems very much musical. What can you say about growing up and staying in a town that prioritizes music as tradition, music as community building, rather than music as a commodity? Yeah, I mean, I think I grew up in a musical family, too, on top of growing up in, like, a musical town. Um, and so, I, yeah, I don't know. That was a big influence on me early on, like, just seeing music in a different way as far as, like, jam sessions in people's homes and at campsites at festivals and stuff like that rather than like on a big stage in front of people um so early on that was like a, just a, a cool introduction to music as a kid I think that maybe a lot of people don't get introduced to music in that way so mm -hmm. um yeah I don't know those are some of my fondest memories is of growing up or spending time at like the Galax Fiddlers Convention and um going to shows with my dad and my grandpa who both play music too and stuff like that. Like there was a, it sounds like there was kind of like a real lack of like the hustle. Yeah. I mean like my, I guess, I guess it just depends. Cause my dad definitely has always hustled for, you know, cause he's played music for a living too, since I've been a child. So, you know, he's always played in different bands and taught music lessons and stuff, but it's a very, it's a different kind of hustle. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. not like, it's not like growing up in Nashville where you're, you know, constantly at, like, you know, around music in a different, in a very different way than I was around music as a kid. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, so music has been a big part of your family history. So you said your dad is a musician, your grandpa is a musician, and you've talked a lot about your great grandmother. Um, was What was her name? Her name was, it was spelled D-O-R-A, but 
the way they said it, she was from Eastern Kentucky, and the way they said it was Dory. So that's where my name comes from. And your name is spelled differently. That's cool. Yes, yeah. Which, with my daughter, her, she also has an Eastern Kentucky family name, which is O.C., and it's spelled O-S-A, like the way that my grandmother, great-grandmother's was spelled D-O-R-A. Um, and my mom had the, the foresight to spell my name phonetically so that people could actually <laughs> pronounce it, but I just chose to keep that spelling because I thought it was so pretty. But, yeah, people, you know, almost everyone just calls her Osa. Osa. Yeah, because that's what it yeah. looks like. But she also has no problem correcting people so good that's yeah. good it's like a it's like a boy named sue kind of situation yeah, it is given her like character that. yeah <laughs> um what do you know about the history of the way music has played a role in your family like how it's been treated um what do you mean by like what do you mean how it's been treated like um if if it was like a really serious thing that everybody needs to to sit around and play like very regimented or very kind of like loose not regimented at all very loose um very much of like a music is a passion for i would say for everyone in my family that plays um you know my grandpa who is a big influence for me and and I'm very close with still he grew up in a really poor area during the Great Depression in Eastern Kentucky, so music was like a real source of comfort for him, and he learned mm -hmm. how to play guitar from his mother, who I'm named after, and um, my dad learned from one of his older brothers. So, yeah, I think for everyone in my family that plays music, even even those of us who do it professionally, it started out as something that was just a very comforting thing that was tied to family and friendship and just mm. something that we felt, you know, like we we had to do you're wearing um a sweatshirt for your one of your family's um is it businesses at the the front porch this is so funny because i can't even believe you knew that that was the name of the <laughs> business first of all but this is actually a venue in charlottesville virginia that's also called the front oh. porch yeah but it's funny because my dad has a hat from there and people are always like oh where can we get one of those we want a front porch hat. And he's like, oh, it's not the same front porch. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, that's confusing, but that's cool. Um, yeah. So the front porch gallery and the frame shop are um, places that your family owns on Virginia's Heritage Musical cha Trail. Chair. Trail. Um, it's called the Crooked Road, which is something I, I hadn't been aware of. And it's just this like kind of 300 plus mile stretch in Virginia that has a lot of um, music venues and musical musically significant places. So um, Front Porch and the Frame Shop are on that trail. Um, so can you describe those two places and the significance they played in your musical upbringing? The Front Porch Gallery? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so my grandpa is um, a pencil artist and he draws like portraits of Appalachian people. And, um, he's been doing that for, I mean, he's been doing it forever, but he's been doing it professionally for, I guess, 40 or 50 years. And then his daughter, my mother, Jill, um, when she was younger, she worked at a frame shop and learned how to frame pictures and do all that stuff. And so, um, she left that place eventually. And she and my grandpa decided to start a business that did both framing and also, you know, showcasing and selling his artwork. Um, and then over the years, it just kind of 
evolved and now my my dad also works there that's where he teaches music lessons and for they don't do it they haven't done it in a couple years but they did it I'm trying to think how many years they did it gosh probably five or six years they had a venue there on Friday nights um Mm. and that was one of the first places that I ever you know started to perform so really really small audience Mm. like a 30 person cap um and like mostly locals so that was one of the first places I performed when I was younger, which was nice because it's a it's a good place to get your footing, especially for someone who's you know doesn't really love being in front of people. I love I love uh, hearing about small town venues because it's like there's like some uh, where is it? You know the Purple Fiddle? Yeah, I haven't played there, but I I know it. Yeah. I think that was the town somebody was talking about how like at five o'clock everything shuts down and then everybody in town heads over to the purple fiddle like Gilmore Girls style. That's so cool. I love that. Checks out the music. Yeah, I'm into it. Um, Okay, your voice basically came to us fully formed um, from the first record. Uh, At least that's that's what I hear. And I've read some observations that people believe it. You might not believe it, but (laughs) it's out there. Um, so you've been singing for a long time. You did choir in school, and you started singing out in front of people as a teenager. So how did you learn to sing, and what do you like about your voice that reflects who you are? Well, I'm, I always sang. I mean, just from, like, being a little kid, I think probably just because I was around music so often. I really liked, when I was a, a little kid, I really liked listening to my grandpa's music a lot, and to the point where my parents got, like, really sick of playing it for me because I just wanted to (laughs) listen to it on repeat and sing along. Um, And then I got, you know, I got older and like middle school, I joined joined choir in school um, and really loved that. And that's where I would say like my singing really has its beginnings was in, you know, like classical choirs and stuff like that. Um, And I didn't start playing an instrument until I was like 15 or 16 when I finally decided that I wanted to be able to at least back myself up. I don't really think of myself as a guitar player, but it was more just like a necessity to, Mm. so I could perform and, you know, not have, not have to rely on someone to do that part for me. I had a question about your guitar playing, actually. I skipped right over, but now is a good time to go back to it. So your great grandmother taught your grandpa how to play guitar then then he kind of has taught you and your dad has taught you and it sounds like a really like wonderful way to carry on the family legacy but what have you observed about your family's guitar playing that's unique and how does the instrument keep that family connection for you oh man um I don't know I I would say that I, I mean, I learned how to play guitar from my dad, not actually from my grandpa, but, you know, it's weird because my grandpa and I do have, like, very similar styles of playing, like, just in, in certain, like, strumming patterns and stuff, you know, not, mm-hmm. not necessarily that I learned, like, from him or from even watching him, but just that, just that weird family thing that sometimes happens in music, like, when you hear a brother and sister sing in harmony, you know, and it's just a different thing than two people that are unrelated singing harmony. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I guess the guitar specifically, I wouldn't say is like something that I feel like really ties our family together, but just, just music in general. Mm, um, 
and honestly singing together um I think is a bigger thing for us like my dad my grandpa and I we do a lot of like when we're together and performing we like to do a lot of three-part harmony and and stuff like that and take turns playing songs that each of us have written um so I'd say like singing is is actually the bigger you know factor that ties us together sure uh new song on the record Appalachian is that how you say that word I say Appalachian. I mean, you can okay. say it how you prefer, but I, I'm a big believer that it's Appalachian. Appalachian. Okay. Yeah. I will say it the way you say it. Thanks. Um, so that song addresses what it means to be from the area you grew up in. Um, can you? So first, I've got two questions about this song. Can you talk about the intentionality? of the musical style on that song. So it's very much like it's so the theme of the song is kind of like the people from this area are not who you think they might be, but the style of the song also is not what you think of when you think of like the musical style from your region. Yeah. So I guess that I wouldn't say that's like a, was a super deliberate choice, but I mean, in a way it kind of was because I do like to have like the juxtaposition of, writing from an Appalachian perspective, but not necessarily playing what you would think of as Appalachian music, you know? So mm -hmm. while that song is about growing up in, in Appalachia and a rural part of the country, um, you know, it's not done with bluegrass or old time accompaniment. Mm -hmm. It's done with like a, I don't know what you would call it, Americana or. It's kind of sounds like old school Nashville. Yeah. I'll, yes. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, I just wanted it to, I wanted the, the music and the melody to be not what you think of when you, when people think of Appalachia, because that, that's kind of the whole point of the song is that, mm -hmm. you know, people have certain ideas and preconceived notions about what people from this part of the country are like, and a lot of times those are incorrect. Hmm. Yeah, so let's, um, let's hear some about um, how it how you see what it means to be Appalachian. Am I saying it right? Appalachian. Yeah. yeah okay. You are. What are like, what are the stereotypes and what is the reality? Well, I mean, I think, you know, the stereotypes are all the main ones that people are familiar with, like hillbilly and redneck and, um, you know, inbred and poor, uneducated. Those are all the stereotypes that I think of. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of those things, you know, I've felt maybe not directly, but like early on in my career when I've been interviewed by people, especially like in other countries or other parts of this country, you know, it's, there's like a, a certain, almost like a passive aggression about, about what it is to be Appalachian. And they, they kind of like, some people tend to like talk down to you because you have an accent or because you talk a certain way or use certain words. Um, I don't know. I guess I just really want, I want people to know that people here are just people like anywhere else. Um, mm -hmm. and that there's been a lot of hardship here economically. And I think that's, you know, historically because a lot of big businesses have come in and, and used this area for its resources and mm -hmm. used the people for their labor and then gotten what they wanted, gotten their money left and then, you know, that's why a lot of Appalachia is um, underdeveloped and in need of resources because we've been used up 
over the years. Oh, yeah. Well, thanks for talking about that a bit. Yeah. Uh, I, f- I feel like you should do like a song exploder on that song. Like it deserves like an entire or like write a book or an essay or something because it sounds like <laughs> such a complex topic that's kind of hard to summarize in like a two minute, you know, interview answer. Yeah, I never like, I don't know. I always get so nervous when people ask me about because I have I'd love to sing and, and write about it. But when I'm asked to speak about it, I'm always just like so afraid that I'm going to. Just go listen to the song and leave. I it know. Alone. I just don't, I'm gonna explain it, <laughs> explain it poorly, or just misrepresent it. But it is something that's very close to my heart. Mm. Well, I think keep talking about it because that maybe that'll help clear things up in your mind and stuff. Yeah, I understand that. Speaking of being nervous and breaking stereotypes, this is a question that we absolutely can skip if you don't want to get into this. But something I am wondering about is a topic that is really being addressed in folk music and Americana music these days of amplifying and including like BIPOC artists who previously like basically been erased from our genre. Um, So what has your observation of this moment been like in your world, whether it's in your town, in the region, or among your circle of musician peers? Well, I mean, I think a lot of like the, I don't know, I guess the way it's, yeah, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that artists regionally and locally, I think, are much more aware of like the history of country music and old time music and know that you know, most of that music has its origins in, in black music and African-American music and, you know, the fiddle and the banjos are used, you know, very early on in this country. And that's something that a lot of white people try to claim, but, you know, came from, came from black culture as a lot of different kinds of music did, you know, like in rock and roll, Elvis gets all the credit for, for rock and roll, but there were people like Chuck Berry that came before him, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's pretty standard across the board with music, I would say, especially, um, even in country and old time and bluegrass. Um, I'm just kind of rambling, but. So like, all right, I watched the video for like a, it was like a tourist video for the, what is the, um, ba, 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 the Crooked Road. And they uh, what you're saying about like people from Appalachia like knowing the history of like where this music and where these instrument came from they were like basically like the african um they like made some kind of like reference to like the banjo being from africa which i thought oh that's really interesting um to hear about so so what you're saying is that like people in appalachia they they know like historically where the music comes from is that what you're saying I mean, people that I know do. It's mm-hmm. not, I mean, I can't, I can't say that across the board, no, because sure. I mean, like, I don't know. I guess I feel like with Appalachia, there are definitely certain pockets of people that are um, more closed minded and there are racist pockets of people here too, but I don't think it's like any more so than any other place in the country. I think it's just like a countrywide problem and a worldwide Mm -hmm. problem. Um, But I mean, it's just speaking from like the musicians that I personally know Mm -hmm. um, and the ones that are in my family and, you know, and, and circles of friendship. Yes. I would say that those people are aware of, you know, the history of the music and um, 
Yeah, I mean, that was something that my dad and grandpa talked to me about when I was a kid. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so I, I mean, I can only speak from, like, personal experience, but... Well, my dad and my grandpa did not talk to me about that, so that's really cool to hear. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't want to... I don't want to, I don't, I feel like almost like I can't really say much about it because I'm a white person. So I just don't feel like I should really have much to say about it, but. Well, let's segue to the patriarchy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, You have written songs about, uh, you know, how pure and good women were supposed to be. And the song I Am addresses your own observations of being a woman. What was your own experience of growing up as a girl and a young woman in the style of music your family and your community played? And do you see that changing at all or evolving at all? Or was it always like pretty good? For for me, again, this is another one that's like real specific to like my own personal experience. I was always surrounded by very good, kind, loving men growing up. Um, not necessarily like as an adult, I, you know, I've definitely been in relationships that were not that way, which if anyone has listened to my music, they can tell right away that I have some personal experience with that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just always had men around me that looked out for me and, um, made sure that I wasn't in bad situations or that I didn't have to put up with, uh, you know, like when I was younger that I didn't have to put up with anything from, you know, performing young and I didn't have, my dad would always make sure that I didn't have to put up with any gross dudes after shows and stuff like that. You know, like Mm -hmm. he was definitely like very protective. And, um, so yeah, I don't know. I guess that's another one that's just based on my own personal experience. I was lucky. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you started writing songs at 20 years old, which I heard you say is later than a lot of people start which is funny. I feel like it is. I feel like most people are, most people that are songwriters are at least like kind of fiddling around with it when they're teenagers. And I just never really did, but maybe it's not, maybe that's just my own perception. What inspired you to start writing your own songs? Um, probably bad relationships. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I think that was just a way of, like, coming to terms with, uh, you know, being in relationships young and dealing with them ending or dealing with dating dudes that didn't turn out to be what I thought they were. Um, So, yeah, I think it was just a way to, like, process all those emotions and those feelings. That was really why I started to write. Mm. You said the best songwriting comes from honest places and you can't be scared to be honest. What has it been like for you to approach the truth in songwriting and balancing telling the truth and writing a relatable and good song? Uh, I think those things are so intertwined. I mean, I feel like when you hear a song, you can tell if it's written from a place of authenticity. And um, that's why I think it's important to write about personal experience and not be, you know, scared to share those things because oftentimes other people have been through similar, um, experiences and it's, it's nice to hear music that you can relate to and that touches on things that you've been through. So Mm -hmm. yeah, to me, those two things are very, 
related to each other. So yeah, mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm gonna write, I'm not gonna write about something that I don't know about or something that I haven't been through. I like to write about things that I've experienced personally or that I know people close to me that have experienced, you know, things that they've shared with me. So yeah, those two things are very connected for me. Do you know Mary Gaucher? I know who she is. Yes. She just wrote a book uh, that I've just finished. I'm not a songwriter, but I really loved it and would recommend to anybody who is a human being or who writes songs. (laughs) Okay. Uh, But we should have a book club of Mary Gaucher's book. Oh, that sounds fun. All right. I'll pick the first book and then you pick the second book. Okay, sick. Well, okay, great. Um, Okay, being on stage... Uh, how has your relationship to performing evolved over the years? And how are you like leaning into like the uncomfortable parts of being on stage? Or maybe you avoid them altogether? Yeah, I wouldn't say I am leaning into them. I'm I'm not avoiding (laughs) them, but I I wouldn't say I'm leaning into (laughs) them. Um, yeah, performing is not my, it, it's not that I don't like it or enjoy it. It's just not something that I think comes supernatural naturally to me and I don't even really mean like the singing and the guitar playing it's more just having a you know a persona on stage and speaking to people and um Ooh, what is your stage persona like uh it's pretty much what you're getting right now <laughs> mm. I pretty like I, don't, I don't know kind of awkward quiet um I have a sense of humor that doesn't always come across and I'll, I'll say things like in a real deadpan way and that I think is funny, but I think a lot of times people don't realize that I'm joking or they think I'm being very serious and they're just like confused as to whether or not they should laugh or not. So yeah, I don't know. I'm just kind of, it's yeah. I don't have a big flamboyant stage personality. Where do you think your sense of humor came from? Um, definitely my mom and dad. They're, they both have like a really dry sense of humor and I'm an only child, so I think they kind of like, and I always called them by like their first names, even when I was really little, I called them Jill and Scott, which people find so weird. <laughs> and I'm, it never seemed weird to me until I heard someone else do it. And then I was like, oh, that, that actually is like a really weird thing to do. But <laughs> they, I don't know, they almost treated me like a, a peer, you know, they never really treated me like, like I was like a little kid or too little to understand anything. And so their humor was like that too. And they were always just like really sarcastic and dry. Mm. And, um, so yeah, I think that's probably where my sense of humor comes from. Who's funnier, your mom or your dad? Oh man, they're both really funny. That's tough. <laughs> they they got, I don't know. I don't know. That's hard. I can't say they're both really funny. <laughs> when I was growing up, I always thought my dad was funnier. And now that I'm an adult, I'm like, oh man, my mom is like so hilarious. Cause she's like, uh, you can really like riff with her. Mm-hmm. In a way, you can't riff with my dad. My dad is like Tom Waits, and my mom is like <laughs> the, the person on stage who's riffing with Tom Waits. Um, That's great. Yeah. Okay, uh, OC. Let's talk about OC. Is that okay? Yeah, we can talk about OC for sure. Just turned eight years old. Yep. And I'm sure lots of your decisions are based around her. Can you talk about, like, falling into the groove of being a parent who is also a touring musician, like how you've observed the way our society places certain pressures maybe on a mother that it doesn't present on a father for childcare and how 
you've worked to carve out a reality for your family? Yeah, I mean, unless you're like a huge touring artist, unless you've made it to a certain level of fame and success, which I am not at, um, then, then childcare is not something that very many people in the industry are going to take into consideration. Um, I mean, I've, they're one of my, my favorite festivals. This is just like an example of how few people do this, but one of my favorite festivals that I ever played is this festival called Red Wing Roots and it's, um, run by the the band, the Steel Wheels. Hmm. And the reason why it's one of my favorites, one of the many reasons was, um, when I got there, I, brought my daughter with me and she was a lot younger at the time. And they were like, Oh, we actually have childcare for you while you're on stage. And I was just like, that's so great. By that. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, I've, I've played a couple festivals that had childcare and it's just, I don't know. It just makes such a huge difference because, mm. you know, most of the time when I perform, I'm performing with my husband. So if we are the only ones with our daughter, Osi, it's like, here you go, sound man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, we got to find someone we trust to watch us for, you know, 30 minutes to an hour. Um, and that's been difficult sometimes, you know, it's like finding, you know, talking to people that run the festival and being like, Hey, do you have like a, a daughter, like a teenage daughter or a, you know, anybody that, you know, that like is good with kids and wants to hang out with our kids for like an hour, you know? Um, yeah, but it's just not something that is really taken into consideration at all because it's, you know, the business is largely male. Like when you look at festival breakdowns on the posters and they take away the percentage that are, you know, female and you're left with like 75 to 80% male artists. Yeah. It's like that all, all across, you know, sound engineering, uh, production, you know, every level of the industry is mostly male. So it's just motherhood and childcare are not things that are really thought about very much. The new album, 10,000 Roses, is your fourth record, and this time around produced by your husband, Nick, who is a drummer. Nick Falk? Yep. Okay, uh, there are some awesome drums on this album. First track, like, blows you away love it <laughs> thanks how has your relationship to the beat changed since marrying a drummer and can you talk about why these songs needed some amazing drumming uh yeah I don't know I guess I just never thought about um rhythm and percussion and drums as much as I think about it now um being married to someone who that's what they do for a living and really like expanded my I guess awareness of like how important that is to the groove of a song and the groove of a band and all of that. Um, and like my previous th three records didn't have a lot of like, they weren't super drum heavy or percussion heavy. And I knew that I wanted this one to be drum heavy and percussion heavy. Um, and that's one of the reasons I asked Nick to produce it because obviously he did, he does those things and mm -hmm. I wanted those to be at the forefront of this album. Cause I think it really just lends a lot to the groove and the vibe of the whole record. Yeah. So that's become something that's, that I think about a lot more that I'd never really used to. Mm -hmm. Uh, during the pandemic, you and your family went outside as much as possible for hikes and walks how did that change your appreciation for nature and how did it seep into your writing? 
Well, I mean, I think I already had a pretty strong appreciation for nature just growing up in like a, a rural place. So when I was a kid, I spent a lot of time outdoors and we had a creek at the house that I lived at. So like I, you know, my summers I would spend like catching salamanders and crawdads and building dams in the creek and stuff like that. And, um, we also had this giant hill behind our house that we would sled on in the winter. And we, my dad and I would, would drive up that hill and get all these big giant rocks that were up, you know, just buried in the hillside. And, um, he, we had this spring house on our property and he, used to pour cement and concrete. So he put all these rocks on the side of the spring house. And so, I mean, I always, I had a bunch of dogs growing up. I always spent a lot of time outside. And so I try to do that with my daughter a lot too, but yeah, definitely during the pandemic, that was really, um, uh, yeah, we did that a lot more because you just couldn't <laughs> go, you couldn't go places, you know? So it was like, okay, what can we do? We, and we're fortunate to live in an area where they're are so many trails and so many beautiful outdoor spaces. So mm-hmm. um, we just tried to do as much of that as we could. And yeah, it just ended up ca- kind of subconsciously seeping into the songwriting for this album. Um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of metaphors with nature and a lot of references to nature and uh, storms and flowers and just, you know, all, all sorts of outdoor references in this record that I think came from, spending so much time outside this last Mm. year. How are you on a nature walk? Are you naming all the flora and fauna? I can name some, but I'm not like, I'm not great at it. (laughs) I just, I mean, I like being outside, but I'm also, I can also be that annoying person. That's like, everybody watch for snakes. Everybody. Tick check. (laughs) Yeah. Tick check. Everybody do a tick check. Look for snakes, you know, um, yeah, but I'm not, no, I'm not the person that's like, oh, and this is a, oh. these are the leaves of an oak tree. And like, I can't, I have friends that are really good at that, but I'm not great at it. It's amazing. Yeah. It's such a great skill. Uh, are you, are you near any bogs? I recently went to a bog. And, for the no, but, so well, I mean, I, I am near like some, but not like what you think of is like when you think of a bog. It's less, you know, there, there are boggy areas. There's like a a breed, a breed of turtle called the bog turtle. It's like real little and they live around mm-hmm. here and they don't live very many other places. I know this cause I have a friend who's like a majored in sustainability and, and ecosystems and, you know, learned a lot from her, but no, I have not been to like a proper bog. I mean, mm. I, where did you, where did you visit one? In Massachusetts, my dad took me, it was like near our house. We, it was like a 20 minute drive. That's cool. Yeah. But they're, they're like, I guess they're like all over Ireland and England. See, yeah, I love Ireland and like I'm obsessed right now. I've just been reading a lot of books set in Ireland, Scotland. So I love the whole mm. like the bog thing is super cool. I love that it like preserves things that are in there, you know? Yes. It's pretty yeah. crazy. Uh, I was just listening to, um, if you've ever heard of the podcast, My Favorite Murder. I have heard of that one. I haven't listened to it, but is it good? Well, yes, it's great. It's my favorite podcast. And on one of the recent episodes, they were talking about bog people. And Ooh, how this I'm going to listen one... to that. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's not the most recent one that, that came out. It's like from two weeks ago. I think it was something about a sandwich is in the title of it. But I'll send it to Kevin and he can he can show it to you. But um, uh, yeah, they, they find these 
human parts of human bodies and bogs that are from like the 200s, like 250 AD and stuff. And they're like perfectly preserved. It's amazing. Yeah. All right. Let's go to a bog after we do our book club. Absolutely. I'm into it. Great. Uh, For the album, you wanted songs that sounded dirtier, not pretty, not polished. Does that sound right? Yes. How do you see that running alongside your evolution as an artist and someone who is like learning more and more about yourself as you get older? I was thinking of like, I was trying not to put words in your mouth, but I was thinking of like, you know, smashing the concept of like perfectionism. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's part of the idea for this record. I mean, I had done like three pretty polished and clean produced albums that I love. I love them dearly and they all have really special places in my heart. But for this one, I just wanted to do something different. And, um, I don't know, I guess I feel like I have like the type of voice that it's kind of cool to pair with like a dirtier sound. Cause I do, hmm. I do have like a, I don't know how to say this without sounding conceited, but like I do have like a, you know, a clear, a clear, like very put together kind of sounding voice. So I wanted mm-hmm. the, the instrumental stuff to be not like that so that it was, there was like a, oh, that's you know, cool. a, a rub there, you know, I wanted it to be kind of the opposite of what my, what to me, my voice sounds like. So. Mm. Great. And then the next album, you'll be fully bog person. Yeah. I'll be just, we'll be like in a bog making the, the record yeah. will be like me coming out of a bog. That'll be the cover. Yeah. Silver skin. Cause you've been in there for 17 centuries. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. You have appeared on the, like your picture has appeared on the cover of your albums. Um, there's, three albums that have photos of you and then one that has a really cool illustration by Caitlin Madison. Mm-hmm. Is that her? Yeah. Really beautiful. Yeah. All of your album covers are beautiful. Thank you. You're active on Instagram and I really enjoy your pictures and everything that you post. Um, but I'm wondering like how intentional you are when using your picture in different places and how like you how like you feel about that intentionality if that question makes sense can you elaborate a little bit more like yeah okay so like another thing about being my experience like being a woman um is that a lot of times you're like I'm like tempted to use my picture to like get more attention you know and like and I think it's like a thing that is just kind of like taught to us in in our culture. Like I remember, here's a, a quick example. When I was in my early 20s and um, I was talking to like a radio colleague who was like older male and he was talking about like another person that we worked with and he said, well, she's really good at using like her looks to like further her career, you know? And that always like kind of made me feel uncomfortable, but it's still something that, you know, something that I do. Yeah. I mean, same. I definitely do it too, but I mean, I can remember a similar instance, like with my, when my first record came out, um, there was a video of me playing and it was just like a really casual video that I had done at home and I wasn't wearing like makeup and my hair wasn't like fixed 
any way, you know, and Teddy, who produced, Teddy Thompson, who produced my, that record, had shared that video, I think it was for maybe our Kickstarter or something that we used to pay for the record, but I remember, mm-hmm. and this was actually coming from a woman, which was interesting, but I, I remember this woman in specific, or in, in particular, commented on the video, and she said, like, well, Teddy, you're going to have to tart her up if you want her to get any attention, da 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 like, and I was just like, that sucks, like, especially coming from a woman, like, I mean, I don't know, you expect that stuff from men, unfortunately, but to to also hear it from a woman was just, like, very disappointing. Yeah, just kind of, like, gets seared into your brain. Yeah, I'll never forget, like, the exact wording of what she said, because it just made me feel bad. It was like, yeah. okay, so clearly the music is not enough, or not even the not even the thing that you're focused on. You just want me to look a certain way. Hmm. Yeah. Ew. Yeah, it's gross. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, Dory, before I let you go, can you do the lightning round with me? Sure. All right. I'm scared now. <laughs> oh, yeah. These are all of the, like, we've talked about racism and the patriarchy. Oh, God. And using I know. Our faces. And it's the lightning round that makes you nervous. I love it. Um, (laughs) No, everything else has made me nervous, too, uh, if you couldn't tell based on my rambling answers that probably made sense, like, half of the time. Hmm. I couldn't tell. Okay. All right. Here we go with the lightning round. You're going to love it. Okay. What was the first song you learned on the guitar? Your Long Journey by Doc and Rosalie Watson. Of course. Extremely (laughs) on brand. Um... (laughs) What is your karaoke song? Ooh, oh, it's it's Hit Me Baby One More Time. <laughs> also very on brand. Uh, dogs or cats or something else? Uh, both, but but dogs. Okay. What is your coffee order? Uh just a, a lot a sweetened latte. Like I can't can't be it can't be, you know, sugarless. I gotta have some agave or something in there. Mm, okay. What kind of milk are we talking about here? Uh, depends on how my stomach's feeling. If if I'm feeling brave, I'll go whole milk. If not, I'll do like <laughs> if not, I'll do like oat milk or usually oat milk. Yeah. Got it. Who is your first celebrity crush? Johnny Depp. Mm, good one. Solid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, who is the nicest musician you've ever met? Oh God, this is such a good question, and it's a lightning round, so I feel oh, um. God, I don't know. Um, so many. <laughs> Who comes to mind quick that you're not related to? to? Go. I know that I'm not related to because I'm about to say my grandpa, but that doesn't count. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm going to say Chris Trilson from this band Bill and the Bells. Do, do you, mm. Are you familiar with him? Mm-hmm. He's just like the nicest guy. Like super sweet, kind dude. Hustles all the time. That's who I'm going with. All right. We'll take that. Uh, first album you bought with your own money? Oh, um, it was uh, it was Britney Spears, and it was on cassette tape. <sighs> Wonderful. <laughs> uh, what was your first concert? Not your dad's. Fallout Boy. It's <laughs> 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 great. Um, uh, what else? Beatles or the Rolling Stones? Beatles. Flying or invisibility? Invisibility. This is the last question. Where is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Ireland. 
gotta yeah. hit up a bog. Gotta hit, hit up a bog. bog. I know. I was talking to somebody recently about my bog experience, and then she was like, I went to a bog in Ireland, and she's like flipping through the pictures on her phone, and I'm like, my eyes were like humongous. Like, you gotta go, Dory. Can I, can I please just show you the book that I'm reading right now? Yep. Because you're going to laugh so hard. I have to go grab it. <laughs> just give me a second. I'm 100% not making this up. This is really the book that I'm currently reading. Bog Child <laughs> by Siobhan Dowd. Yeah. Isn't that so funny that we've been talking yes. about bogs? It's really good so far. Thank you so much, Dory. This has been a real pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Cool. Basic Folk This Week was produced by Sarah Siplak. Our music composed by Alex Stanton of Townspeople. Basic Folk is on the American Songwriter Podcast Network. I'm your host, Cindy House, and you can find all of the episodes of Basic Folk at our brand new website, basicfolk.com. You can listen to all of the episodes there or wherever you get podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.